You're listening to the Mimi B Podcast, a lifestyle podcast that is designed to help you transform your life and become the best version of yourself possible. On this podcast, we talk about health, personal growth, career, and pretty much everything else it takes to become the best you there is. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard. I own the online magazine, Mimi B, and I create courses on how you can upgrade your life to the next level. Every single one of us has the ability to produce extraordinary results in our lives, and this podcast is going to help you get there. I'm so excited to have you back on, Liz. Honestly, our episode we did a couple months ago got so many downloads. Like, It's one of my most downloaded episodes. Take that in. That is so cool. Everyone wants to know about relationships. Yeah. I mean, we're all in them to some extent, right? Exactly. We are. So everybody listening right now, if you haven't met Elizabeth Earnshaw, she is a couples therapist pro based in Philadelphia. And she's been on the podcast before, obviously. And our episode was incredible. We spoke about everything from how to, you know, prevent your partner from cheating and, you know, signs on a lot of cheating stuff. And then also just how to really just nourish a very healthy relationship. And it was such a popular episode that I actually did a and a on my Instagram stories a few months ago when we were initially going to do another episode, but then life got in the way and now we're doing it today. So <laughs> I'm so happy to have you back on. I'm so glad to be here. It's so fun to talk to you again. I know. It's so exciting. So I got so many questions, Liz, when I did that Q&A a few months back, and they're so good. We just I'm so excited to get into them. But, you know, in the past episode, you spoke about your story and how you got into, you know, doing couples therapy. And that's such an interesting story. But I'm going to urge everyone listening now that hasn't heard that episode to go listen to that episode before or after this one to learn more about Liz, because her story is really incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I really just want to get into the questions. Like you are just such a hub of knowledge and you, your way of looking at relationships and, you know, you're a marriage counselor, you're a relationship therapist, like the way that you see relationships as a whole, I think it's just so interesting and practical. You know, a lot of the time everyone tries to make it all so messy, but you really just keep it practical and easy to understand and, you know, that's what I really appreciate about your work. Oh, I love hearing you say that because that's totally my goal is to make it realistic and practical and, I don't know, applicable to real people and not just a couple written in a textbook or something like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so do you mind if we just get right into the questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number one question that I actually got a few times was how do you attract a great guy. You know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, most of them are women. So let's stay, let's stick to that topic or girl if, you know, you you swing that way. But how do you attract a great partner? Like what what do you think the main, you know, traits in a person need need to be if they if they're just going to effortlessly attract this ideal partner? I love that question and I wish that there was some bulletproof answer. And I know there's a lot of places you could look online and it would say like, here's five tips to attract your perfect match. But I think that it's so nuanced, but a couple things that come up for me as I'm thinking about how to answer this question are number one, you know, really understand what are your own patterns? What are the things that you are 
kind of naturally attracted to? Um, and are those things that you're naturally attracted to actually healthy for you? Getting to know yourself and, and the, the patterns that you have and what you find yourself having love at first sight with every single time is so incredibly important because a lot of the times the people that we're naturally attracted to, they aren't necessarily always the best for us um, because we are attracted to people that are very similar to what our our families growing up were. And we will make a lot of conscious efforts to not be attracted to that, right? So we'll say, when I grow up, I'm not going to date anybody like my father. I'm not going to date anybody like my mother. Um, I'm going to pick somebody totally different. And we kind of look around the world for people that are different. And unfortunately, we end up choosing them off of surface level um, things, right? So we'll say my parents were really uptight and they were, um, you know, high level professionals. And so now I want to date a hippie (laughs) and we'll go and we'll find this hippie person. And then we'll end up being disappointed in the same ways we were growing up. Um, and kind of confused because we've found this totally different person. But the reality is that usually we're just attracted to the same types of characteristics and we don't even notice it. So understand what types of characteristics am I usually attracted to? Am I attracted to humor? Am I attracted to people that are a little bit hard to read because they're mysterious? Am I attracted to um, intellect? And thinking about well, what is that usually paired with when it comes to me? You know, often I'll even say for myself, I'm attracted to really, really funny people. And that could kind of blind me um, to some of the other things that might not be so great because often the funny people I was attracted to, it was also paired with a little bit of narcissism. Um, And that is something that I think I grew up with, right? That funny and narcissism were paired a little bit. And so while I think I'm being attracted to somebody who's totally different, I'm still seeking that same, um, that same template. And so you really want to step back and notice, like, what am I attracted to? And when I'm noticing those positive characteristics, am I also missing the negative characteristics that might come with it? And again, that's not to say that every single humorous person is narcissistic. They're not. But you're likely going to be attracted to the things that are kind of connected to each other in whatever your childhood was. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, that's so funny. You know, I think about my boyfriend, Ben, and then like my dad, because you were saying like you, you usually are, are – is it the opposite or the same as like your parents? Yeah, did, you're did you usually say? attracted to people who are like your parents or whoever raised you. And that's so funny because I feel like my boyfriend and my dad are so different. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be because you have a lot of consciousness and you chose something different. Um, or they might be similar in ways that you're not really considering. Um, mm-hmm. And we do that a lot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You know, my husband and my dad are very different surface wise. My husband's a musician. My dad's an attorney. <laughs> and but then when I really think about it, there are certain things, certain ways that they engage with emotions, certain ways that um, they deal with problems that are actually kind of similar. And 
we do that a lot. We end up being attracted to people who, when we write down um, what they're like, they seem different. But when we really think about how they engage with things, there are sometimes some characteristics that are similar. Um, you know what? Come to think of it, Liz, like you're so right. Like they, my my boyfriend and my dad are so different on the outside. Like they have different views. They, they're like they're just very different. But then when I think about the way that they react to to situations, it can be very similar. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, exactly. My husband is very different. He has different political views, all sorts of stuff. And so in my my search to find somebody quote different which we all do. We try to find people different from our parents very often, even if we love our parents. Um, I still found someone though, that has behaviors that can be the same. And I think a lot of us do that. And sometimes that's fine because our parent is in, you know, many ways healthy and it's something we're comfortable with. But if we grew up with disruptive childhoods, we might be continually seeking out people and connecting with people who, again, on the outside, the surface level are different. But when we get close to them, we find that in many ways, they disappoint us in very, very similar ways. And so just the more awareness Mm -hmm. you have of those characteristics that disappointed you growing up, um, the, the easier it is to then be consciously aware of the partners that you're choosing. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. And so interesting to think of. So everyone listening now think if you have a if you're in a relationship and you have a partner, are they like your your parents? (laughs) So interesting. Um, But my question for you, like, I know, you're obviously a relationship therapist, relationship coach. But like, do you have any like pre relationship tips, like any flirting tips? Like when you if a girl listening right now is in the early stages with a guy or looking for a guy and going out and, you know, mingling and and socializing, do you have any tips on, you know, how to, you know, maybe not because a lot of girls really struggle with like, trying to not come off as like, desperate if they're really looking for a relationship. And I've definitely been through that as well. Like, do you have any tips on how to kind of like keep it cool and, and kind of attract the guy to you instead of going out and looking for the guy? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that it's really hard for women because there's so much dating advice out there that essentially asks you to not be yourself. Um, And a lot of what I find in my work, and like you said, I work with relationships. And so I can look back to the moment that the relationship was in trouble. And that was usually in the beginning. It was usually during the flirting stage when people were not being themselves. And so one of the most important things when you are getting to know somebody is to, of course, you don't want to put everything out there, right? Because there is something to be said about having a little mystery, making yourself desirable, all of that kind of stuff. But you do want to be authentic. And one of the words you used was, how do you keep it cool? And when I think about keeping it cool, I think, how do you maintain your boundaries? Because someone who keeps it cool, someone who does not come off as desperate, is someone that is kind of in this secure place, right? Where if something isn't going to work out for them, if a restaurant isn't the type of food they want, or if they don't have time on Saturday because a project is due on Sunday, someone with boundaries, they keep it cool because they are able to say, I'd love to see you, but Saturday isn't going to work. Or 
unfortunately, there's not usually anything I can order at that restaurant. Can we choose something else? And when you're doing that, you might end up um, losing some people in the dating pool. They might say you're too difficult or I don't feel like putting up with this or whatever. Um, But what you will find is that you get their real response and you get to learn about them. And so you want to set boundaries, not only so that you, like you said, you don't seem desperate, you don't seem clingy, none of those things. Um, but also because it helps to open the door to understand who this other person is and whether or not they can respect you and respect your own needs. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. It's really, and this is the kind of, you know, advice I try to give my friends when they're, when they're dating and meeting new guys, it's like, just be as you as possible, because why would you want to try being someone else, especially in that beginning phase? Cause what if they figure out the real you, like, it's just a waste of time. And, you know, I think so many of us are so self-conscious going into dating at the beginning. And, you know, it really goes down to like not feeling good enough or not feeling like you're a good match for this guy that you really like. But at the end of the day, you just got to be yourself because either way, like, you know, if you fake it and you end up, um, you know, getting him to believe this fake version of you, you're never going to end up in this amazing relationship where you feel incredible because you'll never, you know, be the true you and it will just inevitably fail. One thing I always ask people is how long can you sustain that? So if you're in the dating world right now and you find yourself doing certain things in a relationship, um, I want you to ask yourself, how long can I sustain this? Is this really, is this me? Because right now they are attracted to this person that I'm offering. And if I can't sustain it, if this isn't going to be someone that I'm going to be able to mostly be in three months, six months, a year from now, then they're going to be awfully surprised when suddenly you become your real self. And they were attracted to the you that you presented at first. And so you're also going to be pretty surprised with how they respond to the real you. Um, And I I think a lot of times we do all these things in the beginning, like, oh, you know, don't, don't call them for this many days or don't say how you really feel for this many months or whatever it is. And it's like, well, great. But what you're then doing is you're connecting with someone who doesn't like somebody who says what they feel. You're connecting with someone who wants someone who's a little bit more distant, who wants someone who always presents themselves perfectly or whatever it is. And the moment that you can't sustain that anymore is when the relationship's going to have a little bit of a breakdown. And so dating advice um, like that works really well in the beginning, but it doesn't necessarily work in terms of maintaining something over the long run. That's so interesting. You say that. What do you think about sleeping with a partner kind of on the first date, second date, really, really early on? Because I think a huge part, um, you know, when I first started dating Ben two years ago, we waited, like I wanted to wait for a while, um, you know, because because in my mind, I was like, I, I want him to have that chase. Is that something because you kind of just said there that it's like, just, you know, do what you want to do, be you say what you want to do. What do you think about, you know, being sexual at the beginning of, of you know, the phase of I dating that's someone? tricky because in the beginning of a relationship, there's already, already, there's already so many chemicals happening that make us feel very into another person. 
And it's called the limerence stage. And during that stage, we have so many hormones running through us. It's hard to see what we don't like. We only see what we like. When you add sex into it, there's even more hormones. (laughs) So you're making it a little bit more fueled with hormones, a little bit more blinded to maybe the not so great aspects of the relationship if you're having sex early on. What I will say, though, is that I've met many couples who when I, one of the first things I ask couples when they come to see me is tell me about when you first met. And I've met lovely couples who I say, tell me when you first met. And they laugh and they look at me and they say, it's embarrassing. Like we had sex. (laughs) We got drunk at a party and we had sex the first night and then I didn't see him for two weeks. And then we ended up falling in love and getting married. So I don't want to say like your relationship cannot work Mm -hmm. if you have sex early on. Um, But what I will say is that it adds a lot more chemical distraction to getting to know the other person. The other thing I would say is, so interesting. are you withholding the sex because that's your own boundary? Or are you withholding it to play a game? I really think there's a difference in that. If it's I myself don't really want to share my body yet with this person, I don't know them, I want to get to know them. That's super healthy. That's a boundary, right? But if it's, I'm going to withhold sex because I want to keep them around and um, I'm kind of like utilizing this as a method of control in some way, that's different. And then my my curiosity would go to, well, what will that mean about sex in your relationship moving forward? Um, Does it continue to be like a method of control or is it something that's like kind of authentically offered? That would be like my only my only question about waiting is really what's what's underneath that is probably more important than the waiting part. That is such a good point. I've never thought about it in that way. And that is so interesting. And I love that. And, you know, for me personally, I think it was a bit of both. I'm not going to lie. It was a bit of like I wanted him (laughs) to, to chase it. I wanted him to not get it easily, but then I also didn't feel like I'm not the kind of person that, you know, I, I, that it's just not me to, to do that, to, it doesn't feel right when I have done that in the past. So I think it was a bit of both. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it is for a lot of people. And again, and I don't know how familiar you are with Esther Perel. Love Um, her. Yeah. I love her too. There's, she talks a lot about this and it's so important. There is this really important piece in building a relationship and sustaining one where there has to be a little bit of mystery and desire. There is just a little bit of game playing, right? And even in a relationship where you've been together for 30 years, there needs to be a little bit of autonomy, mystery, distance. And so I think sometimes the like, let's hold off on sex part, it's really important because it adds some of that. Um, I think she says you can't, you can't desire something that you already have. And so there are healthy components to like withholding things and to keeping them back. But you want to make sure that you're really understanding why you're doing that. And that it's not all about the game. It's not all about getting the person that there's pieces of it that are actually about you and what you want, and what feels right to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. All right, moving on to the next question. This is very interesting. And I'm excited to hear your your take on it. 
Uh, someone says, is it wrong to stay in a relationship even if you know the other person loves you more? Hmm. You know, I would be curious about what that even means. Mm -hmm. I wish that person was sitting here because how do you, what does it mean that they love you more? Are they more affectionate? Are they, do they talk about it more? Are they more committed than you? Um, how do you know that they love you more? I would be curious as to whether this is a relationship where this person really loves them more, or is it like an avoidant, anxious relationship where one person is much more um, vocal and anxious about demonstrating their love and the other person feels a little more distant or withholding of that kind of stuff and doesn't truly let themselves lean into vulnerability in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's a case where this other person loves you more than you love them, do you love them enough for you? I mean, if it truly isn't that you're kind of avoidant and avoiding um, getting close to someone and it's just that you're not into this person, I mean, the bigger question is, well, why, what is hap- what is going on in that relationship that's beneficial to you? And like, do you want a relationship where you really truly love this other person? Um, mm-hmm. And Sometimes I think that there's a lot of people that say, marry someone who loves you more than you love them. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I, I like people to be in relationships where they just both love each other and they might demonstrate it differently, um, but they, they both love each other. And so is this really one where you're at different levels of love or are you just not able to demonstrate it because of some sort of block? That would really be my question. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the perfect situation, I, it's funny you said that that quote, like marry someone who loves you more than you love them. But, you know, the perfect situation to me, and I feel like this is what I currently have with Ben, is, you know, I feel deep down, I'm like, there's no way he could love me more. Like, I love him more than anything. And then he thinks, no, there's no way she could love. Like, we always have silly little fights that that are like, I love you more. It's like, no, 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 I love you more. And then it's it, that that kind of back and forth, I think, is like the ideal situation in my mind. <laughs> yes, it's it's nice to be able to feel like the other person wants to fight you on how much they love you. <laughs> <laughs> And if people, I think a lot of people are in relationships where they're like, oh, I think this other person loves me more than I love them. Again, it's just like, is something going on there in terms of not actually going for what you want in your life or what they want in their lives? Um, And are you guys kind of settling for a relationship that's not truly fulfilling? Mm -hmm. Um, That would be my, my question. Yeah, good question. Okay, next, this girl that wrote in said that she, okay, long story short, it's a very long message. So I'm going to try to kind of bring it into a small little uh, question for you. Basically, she, (laughs) she uh, is upset and feels really uh, just angry that her boyfriend went through her phone 
And he found like messages from ages ago that were a bit flirty with her and this, this guy friend of hers. And she doesn't know whether to be, you know, the one begging him for his forgiveness or angry that he went through her phone. And it wasn't even that bad. The texts, they were just a little bit flirty. They were from ages ago. And, and she's kind of making it out to seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. But obviously, he's really upset. And they're in this huge fight. What would you do in that situation? Or what would you advise? Mm-hmm. Um, can you actually read that to me again? I'm sorry. And can you, it's okay. Sorry. That was a bit confusing. Okay. Basically this girl is in a fight with her boyfriend Mm -hmm. because he went through Mm -hmm. her phone and she feels violated. Her privacy is violated. And, Mm -hmm. um, he found a, a few texts that, you know, were a bit flirty with her and another guy. So he's upset, but in her opinion, you know, they weren't even that bad and they were just in this huge fight and she doesn't know whether to be angry at him for violating her privacy or to, you know, <laughs> rub his back and tell him everything's going to be okay and, and comfort him. Yeah. Okay. That's a hard one, right? And I think those are common when somebody discovers something. Um, there's almost always been a violation of privacy. And so then the question is, like, who's whose anger gets listened to first in those situations. And um, I think they're both valid, right? You know, he violated privacy. He violated probably, you know, in quotes, I'm putting this, a contract that they have not to go through each other's stuff. And she violated him um, by by violating either an unsaid or a said contract that – they're monogamous with each other. And it sounds like for him, it felt like it was a huge violation of trust and a betrayal. And for her, it's a violation of trust and a betrayal too. And so the question becomes like, who gets to be the one that is listened to first? And you don't want a relationship where you're in this gridlock of unless unless you take care of my problem, I'm not taking care of your problem because then you're not going to move forward. Usually the type of thing that stepped out of the relationship in some capacity has to be resolved first. And with, and then once that's resolved, then the other person does need to be held accountable for whatever they did that violated trust as well. So of course, every situation is different, but my suggestion would be to repair with your boyfriend because his trust was violated and he's hurt. And even if it's not a big deal to you, it is a big deal to your partner. And I always say, if it's a problem for one person, it's a problem for both. And so trying to convince this person that it's not a big deal for you, that it doesn't really matter. It's not really making them feel heard or making them feel understood. So trying to understand what it felt like for them trying to be compassionate about that and asking what they would need to have their trust rebuilt is really important. And then, you know, once that conversation happens, you can ask, have I heard, do you think I'm understanding you? Do you, do you think that I'm taking this seriously enough for you? If they say yes, then you can say, okay, well, and I really want to talk about like what was happening in our relationship that made you even feel like you needed to violate my trust and my privacy by going through my phone. Oftentimes I'll find that if people are going through your stuff, then they weren't trusting you for some reason. 
And why is that? What was happening? You know, were you being distant? Were you, um, had they seen something else that they're not telling you about? Um, But you want to find out like what was going on where they felt driven to violate the trust. Now, in some situations, people are just kind of anxious and they violate trust even when the other person has done nothing. And if that's the case, if he says, oh, I look through your phone all the time just because I don't trust anybody. Well, that's very much a boundary violation. And you'll need to talk about how he can um, make that up to you in some capacity and rebuild your trust. But if there's something else there where he says that he just knows that something was going on because somebody told him something or whatever, um, I think then the work there is, well, how do we rebuild trust in this, in this relationship? So they don't feel the drive to go through my phone. Um, Because in my experience, most of the time when people are going through the phone, there is something else that tipped them off to do it. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. Like, you know, I think it's a a window into the relationship as a whole. Like in a healthy, happy relationship, people just don't go through each other's phones. And, you know, I remember, you know, in my past, like if there has been something – you know, not good in the relationship, then you have the urge to kind of go through, you know, messages or whatnot. But like when it's been really good, like with Ben and I, like that hasn't happened in, in years, but when it's been so good the past ages, like, you know, you never even have that thought. And, and it's that, you know, the trust, like I love the fact that I can, you know, sit down at the table with him and have my phone upright on the table. And if I get a message and I'm in the other room and I hear my phone go off, I say, Hey Ben, like, can you check who it is? Like, you know, that kind of trust, I think, is so essential. And I can't see, you know, being in a relationship any other kind of way. Like, it's just that transparency that I just feel so comfortable with. Yeah, same. And I, in the past, was in relationships where, you know, I I wasn't even allowed to, like, pick up their phone, right? They would get so weird. Mm -hmm. Like, what? What, what are you doing? I'll look it up. You don't need to look it up in my phone. Don't you have your own phone or something like that? And now I'm in a relationship where it's like, hey, babe, can you go through my text messages and find this message from so-and-so? And no one even bats an eyelash about that. So I like what you said. It's a window into the relationship. And can you use this moment as a couple to figure out where was trust lost And is it possible to rebuild it? Because this is really the first sign that there is not trust in this relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you, what you say on your Instagram about, you know, when you fight fighting in the, the right way and, you know, ways to kind of navigate fights in a healthy and adult and mature way. And, you know, I'm on your Instagram right now and I'm just looking at you. You did a post recently about, the five ways to soften a conversation. So I would love to talk about like your big tips when in a big argument with your partner and how to kind of, you know, steer away from that big explosive craziness that always ends up happening, (laughs) you know, a lot of the time. Yeah. And what what are your top tips? Yeah. So I think of it as a dance and you want to be doing a dance where you're, you're kind of moving towards escalation and then you're noticing when it's about to explode and you're taking steps away from it. And 
couples that can do that, they fight well. They allow each other to get a little angry, to say things that maybe aren't so perfect all of the time because we can't sound like therapists with our partners every time we're angry. (laughs) Um, But then they do things that step away from the volcanic eruption. And so a couple things that they do is that when they start to sense that the tension has gotten to be too much in that moment, they might offer something called a repair attempt, which is anything that's going to soften the mood and allow people to take a deep breath for a minute. So it might be making an apology, saying something like, whoa, I'm really sorry. I just raised my voice way too loud. I'm going to tone it down a little bit. Let me try again. Um, It might be something like offering affection. Uh, Hey, I'm sorry. I think we're acting like assholes to each other. Can I just give you a hug really quick? I want you to know I love you. And then you can still keep arguing, but that brings down the tone. It kind of softens the tone in those moments. Um, The other is offering your love and reassurance. So I know we're fighting right now, but I just want to take a second to say that I do love you. Like I'm not saying these things because I want us to break up or anything. I do want you to know I love you. Um, And for some couples, it's using humor. In my relationship, my husband could try any of those techniques. He could ask me for a hug. He could say that he loves me. He could reassure me. Nothing works. I'm like a rock. I just like am completely stonewall sometimes. And then all of a sudden, he makes fun of me in a loving way. And I melt and we deescalate and we get away from that eruption. And so you want to learn with your partner, what are these things we can do to step away from that moment that's going to make us become really nasty with each other? Mm. Does that make sense? That's so interesting, Liz, because, you know, you say that humor is your thing. In the times that I've been in huge, monstrous fights with Ben, and if he's tried to deescalate things by, you know, saying a little funny joke or kind of being a bit more, more kind of chilled about things. Um, I go crazy and I'm like, you don't even care. Like you're just joking about this. So it's so funny how different we are. So funny. And you know what? That's the, that's the hard part. When I, one of the things a lot of people will say, I'll post the tips and there's like 10 options or something. Right. And people will be like, Oh my God, if my husband asked if he could hug me during this fight, I would punch him in the face. (laughs) Or, you know, somebody else will say, if somebody joked, I would just, I'd be done. I would like explode. So some of these repair techniques can backfire, which is why it's important that you know your audience. (laughs) And so just because you like humor, your Ben might like humor that might help him deescalate. Um, so then he uses it with you. And just because that works with one person doesn't mean it works with the other. And so you actually might want to have a conversation during calm moments where you ask, like, what's the type of thing that actually makes you feel like I'm hearing you and um, lets us kind of take a step back, repair and reconnect again, because it's different for everybody. Totally. And you know what? Like, this is going to sound crazy, but when I discovered your Instagram this summer, like, Ben and I were going through a little phase of fighting a little bit more than usual, like, at the beginning of the summer. And I actually, like, integrated the tips 
that you talk about on your Instagram and like Ben and I literally would like look at your posts and I'd be like, oh, okay, like let's talk about this. Like, you know, in this situation, like I would like to be treated like this. And he's like, okay, well in this situation, I would like to, it literally like triggered conversation in calm moments for us. And it's just like amazing. And and I love, I'm so happy that, you know, you're so open with all of this amazing free information because it's actually really helped my relationship. That's so awesome to hear. And I think that, like you said, it triggers conversation during calm moments. And we don't often think about talking about how to argue. Um, We just feel upset about it after the fact. But if you talk with your partner about what can you do for each other when it gets bad during calm moments, it can be so effective. Yeah. So that's awesome to hear that you guys did that. That's amazing. Thank you. So, okay. One last question for you. I'm so interested and this is just a question for me, but I don't even think I asked you this last time as a relationship therapist, as a pro, you know, couples coach, what are some things that you do in your relationship? Like you probably have such an amazing relationship because this is your job, you know, like, yeah. What are some habits that, that you have in, in your life? If you don't mind sharing, you know, in, in your relationship and I know you have kids and, you know, it can be a different dynamic once you have kids and everything, but what are some of the top things that you really prioritize in your relationship to keep things as solid and passionate and amazing as possible? Ah, well, just like anybody else, we have, a a normal relationship, right? And I think being a couples therapist has helped me to normalize some of that and to notice that in moments of difficulty, it doesn't mean that you are an incompatible couple. So one thing is that I just always keep in the back of my mind, like all couples argue and have difficulties and it doesn't mean we're incompatible. So like, I don't even go there in arguments, which I think is helpful. But in our daily life, we spend, we make sure that we spend time together. And since we do have our child, um, that can be challenging, but something that we promised each other before our son was born was that the two of us were always going to come first. And so my son goes to bed at his bedtime, even if he doesn't want to go to bed at his bedtime. Um, and he's in that crib and he can read a book or he can stare at the ceiling or talk to himself. But my husband and I are hanging out and that is something that is so, so important. And when I see couples, especially couples with kids struggling, one of the biggest things is that they've lost time between each other. And so every night we have a ritual and rituals are really, really important in relationships that you kind of know what you can rely on for all couples, it's different, but for us, we um, get out cookies every night and we watch one of our favorite shows and we eat cookies and drink milk and watch a TV show. And that is literally almost every single night of our lives, no matter how busy we are, if we have work, like he will wait up for me until I get home at 11 PM. Um, and we will do that. So that's one thing that's been really important. When we get into arguments, I've had to really work on, and he's very good at, being very good at offering and accepting repair. So the thing we were just talking about, if he is offering a repair, if he's saying, babe, let me hug you, or I'm sorry, can we try the conversation again? My personality and my initial inclination is to say, no, I 
like I stomp my feet like a toddler almost. I don't want to talk to you. You made me mad. You don't deserve to talk to me, essentially. And so one thing I've had to really work on is when he's making repairs, I have to turn towards those and I have to take a deep breath and say, yes, we can try the conversation again. Or I don't really want to hug right now, but I am going to take a deep breath and I'll come sit next to you. So accepting repair attempts has been huge for our relationship. And then the third thing is really paying attention to the four horsemen. So I've really, I'm a more critical person and he's a more defensive person. And I've worked really, really hard on paying attention to how critical I am. And he's worked really, really hard on instead of being defensive, taking responsibility when I bring something up. And so um, I would say that those three things have been the most important things in our relationship to keep it healthy. And so just repeating them, it's having rituals of connection where I know I can rely to rely on him and um, see him at certain points during the day or the week, um, accepting repair when we've messed up and making sure that we are being really mindful that we're not critical with each other or super defensive when, when somebody brings something up. Mm, I love that so much. What a lovely, lovely end to the podcast. Oh my gosh, it, you really have nailed it. Like th- those three things are so true. And I've never even considered the ritual part. Like that's something I really, really just cherish with Ben when we have our, our, our rituals. And that's so interesting to even hear it in that way, like how how important that consistency is. Um, but yeah, honestly, Liz, thank you so much for coming on again. It's gone by so quickly and, you know, I'd love to have you on again and, you know, we can get the listeners to send in more questions and maybe in a couple months do another episode, but honestly, thank you. And, and where can everyone find you on Instagram? You've, your Instagram has really grown recently. Last time I saw, huh? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Oh my God. You were at like, I don't know, 50,000 followers when, when we first chatted like yeah. a few months ago. Now you're at like 120 or something. Yeah. <laughs> they are so, yes, uh, killing it. It's so cool. Um, so you can find me on Atlas Listens. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I have tons of tips there for couples. And I post stories to help you have good relationships. And I would love to be connected with you there. Yes, everybody go check her out. Go follow. I'm telling you such an epic follow. Thank you, Liz, so, so much for coming on. Thank you for having me.